world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Privilege complaint. Oh, my soda wasn't there. I had to get my <laughs> other soda. I've I was like, I know no I've known no hardships in my life. <laughs> my my big middle my, my my big first world problem is uh I have to go to Walmart to buy Yoohoo in a can. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel bad. I've already told John my my uh first world white collar complaint. Oh, my company will no longer give me free money. <laughs> they don't give you a bonus? Yeah, Intermountain Healthcare is, uh, has kind of fallen on hard times because, you know, healthcare, like, people weren't going in for surgeries and doctor's visits for a while. Uh-huh. And so we lost a whole bunch of money. And so what Intermountain did so they could keep everyone employed is like, okay, we are no longer going to match your contributions to your 401ks. Oh, that's it? Yeah, it kind of sucks. It does, it but does. at the same time, it's like, when I say, oh, I have enough money that I can set some aside for retirement and people aren't giving me more free money, like, it sounds super entitled, right? Right, yeah. right. Yeah, no, like, I feel fortunate that, like, first of all, I have enough money that I can set stuff aside <laughs> for retirement, but also, like, that nobody at the company that I work for has to get laid off. Yeah, no, that's good. And it's going to be a temporary thing. Right, they're actually planning on reinstating it in January if all goes well. And that's and that's perfectly reasonable, yeah. I would assume it does with how many corona cases there are. <laughs> well, I don't know, because like the the corona cases are up, but healthcare doesn't make money off of people going to their doctor because they've got coronavirus. They make money for people going in for surgery. Oh. Hmm. Okay, sorry, this is this is me being real cynical. How do hospitals charge so much and you're telling me they don't make any money? No kidding. Uh, okay, okay, we don't have to get into this now. I'm just saying. Well, I'm not even really sure I can answer it because I work for the professional billing side uh-huh. of healthcare, which is all outpatient and doctor's visits. Hospitals are a different entity and their financial structure is different. Oh, okay. One thing I can tell you is that hospitals are very, very expensive. Yes. Because you've got doctors and nurses and staff and security and janitors and then you've got equipment and utilities and uh all sorts of like specialized tools and things and you've got drugs and on top of that you've got medical liability insurance that you have to pay you have to pay for administrators like proctologists you got forgot proctologists <laughs> That, that falls under doctors. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, sometimes they're doctors, and sometimes they're just whoever got in the room with the rubber glove first. You gotta really check. You gotta check. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, also, proctologists are probably outpatient. They're they're. No, it was very much in. It no, was if anything, they're real inpatient. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they're very inpatient. <laughs> Anyway, 
I can tell you for a fact that hospitals are super expensive. And I can also tell you that hospitals and insurance companies have kind of a terrible racket going on between the two of them that oh, yeah. is kind of responsible for inflating the cost of healthcare. Like, I'm not going to say it's entirely responsible and that, like, you, it, I don't know. It's complicated. <laughs> There's an episode of Adam Ruins Everything that does a pretty good job of talking about this, actually, if you haven't seen that. And pay nurses more, dang it. Especially baby nurses. Seriously. Yeah, you know when a baby nurse is born and the stork brings her and you're like, all right, start cleaning up the patients, you baby nurse. They look so dejected because they just, I, I just got here. <laughs> I was literally born 10 minutes ago. Well, you know Ooh-goo. everything you need to know. Now get mopping. It's a mess in yeah. here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, I really just hung up and talked about the, or broken American healthcare system because I really don't want to talk about damage control. <laughs> uh, we got one of those again, do we? Uh, Was it too wordy or did it not age well for you? I had a few uh, issues. Yes. Uh, I mean, we'll find out. We'll find out soon. Okay, well, let's get into it. How about? What a transition. Yeah, uh, welcome. This is the Superhuman Registration <laughs> Podcast. My name is Steven, Aldo is here, and John is here, and we are going to talk about comics, and some of us are going to like some of them, and some of us are not. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, I think that's that's how it's going to go tonight. So, guys, how you doing? Okay. <laughs> I'm good. No, I'm good. Should, I'm... <laughs> like, it's, it's like, it's like... <laughs> You know how when you're having a bad day and someone says, how are you? And like, it, you know, the, the, the comic answer is like, there's this enormous thought bubble and what comes out is just fine. Everyone yeah. has that now where it's <laughs> like, oh, you know, just trapped inside and there might be an earthquake. There might be police brutality, but I'm just inside and I'm worried about not having enough yeast to make my sourdough. And <laughs> yeah. I, uh, <laughs> things are good, man. It's, it's, I, I, so I had this almost the same moment earlier. So I'm taking a course on uh, game design production mm. something like that uh, i have a friend he works for like pluralsight and like uh, i guess he works with unity and so he decided to do a thing where he's like hey uh people of color if you want to get into game design you want to learn uh let me know and you know we'll start we'll set up like a like a tutorial or like not a tutorial a little guided uh path with somebody with an instructor to help you for free uh so i took him up on that offer and that's what i'm doing now anyways nice so his his name is Tom. He's from Big Shiny Robot. They have oh. a pod. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Big Shiny Podcast. Yeah. Um, I write for their website once every three months. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so so I've been friends with them for a while. Um, anyway, so they know I'm I'm moving back to SLC. Uh, and he asked me today. He's like, he's like, are you excited to be moving back to SLC? And my response was, um, yeah, it's exciting. it's just easy it's just easier than giving you the full story and it's not a bummer yeah he's like he's like man that's uh you sound real excited i was like man if that's not a real ring an endorsement (laughs) anyway uh let's talk about damage control okay I, let, 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 we, got, we got two books we're, we're reading tonight. We, we've got Damage Control, and we've got uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. Let, let's start with Damage Control, because it sounds like that's the divisive It one. sounds like we need to do some Damage Control at the beginning of the podcast. There has to be a more organic oh, way to make that pun later nope. on. Nope. 
<laughs> nope, this is my act of vengeance for making me read this. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, damage control is a... I thought that we were grabbing the first damage control story just because of the way that these were numbered in the app. Turns out that's not the case. This is actually Damage Control Volume 2, but I did make it clear that we were reading the Acts of Vengeance one, so it sounds like everybody read the right story. Damage Control Volume 2 was written by Dwayne McDuffie with Ernie Cologne doing art and Rick Parker doing letters and John Wellington on colors. Uh, this tells the story of a contractor organization that helps to repair New York City after superhero supervillain scuffles. And in the middle of the Acts of Vengeance event, when supervillains are running rampant all around New York, getting in scuffles with a wide variety of heroes, the services of damage control are more needed than ever. But it turns out damage control doesn't really have the resources to tackle everything because they are dealing with issues of their own. They've just been sold as an organization to a uh, group called, oh, what were they called? Uh, they were called Carlton Co. Get it? Get it? Yeah, uh. yeah no. <laughs> Issue one ends with a giant tower that says Carlton Co. And on top it's got DC for damage control. But yeah, there's definitely some sort of pun at work here that I didn't fully understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's definitely some sort of swipe happening at DC Comics, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they reference, I mean, this came out 88, 89. They're, they're referencing, you know, them having Batman in theaters making all of the money. So, but it'll come up. Yeah. So anyway, series of misadventures. Some of the members of Damage Control wind up getting trapped in... Uh, which of the supervillain prisons is this one again? The vault? It's the vault. So some of the members of Damage Control get trapped in the vault. Uh, it turns out that they are actually friends with one of the members of the Wrecking Crew who is still trapped inside. And so they kind of uh, leverage that friendship with the member of the Wrecking Crew to get out unscathed. But then a whole bunch of other like members of Damage Control, the, con the, the construction workers that they contract with, go on strike. The Punisher singles out damage control because he thinks that's going to lead him to the Kingpin. The Kingpin and Tony Stark being the former owners of damage control who just sold it to Carlton Co. Uh, so the Punisher shows up and is kind of ridiculous for the whole thing. She-Hulk is there, and this is the middle of the time period where She-Hulk was a self-aware comic book character in the vein of Deadpool. And eventually the whole thing gets kind of worked out. Uh, the current, the new head of Damage Control is able to uh, get things stabilized. The old head of Damage Control basically cashes in some chips with Nick Fury to help bail them out. Apparently they used to date or had a thing going. And honestly, the plot itself is, is kind of just there as an excuse for, frankly, a lot of the jokes. Um, I, I don't know that I really have a whole lot of connection to any of the characters. The... Superheroes that do appear are, for the most part, fairly ridiculous, which is fine with me. I quite like it. Um, but yeah, this sounds like it was, I'm going to just say, a divisive story, because I actually kind of liked it, surprising probably no one. Aldo, you sound like you have some strong feelings about it. 
Boy, this was a hot garbage. <laughs> All right, listen, okay. Here's the thing. I went into this. I don't know what I was expecting. Um, it's, it's This is written by Dwayne McDuffie, who is a... If, if, he's, if it's the right person I'm thinking of, he's a fairly prolific person in the comic industry and the creator of many black heroes, including Static Shock. Am I wrong? No, this that's Dwayne, okay. Dwayne McDuffie. That's him. Okay, cool. So I don't... So I was expecting... Um, just off the premise, like damage control being like the people that handle this stuff. I was expecting some sort of story about the plight that is, you know, burdened onto the common man, probably in like lower income neighborhoods by the clashing of superheroes and how really at the end of the day, the little man is still screwed over even when the right thing is done. Um, oh boy. Right. So, and then I get this goofy thing of like, huh, yuck. This lady kissed me, and now that's all I'm gonna think about for the rest of the issue. Um, <laughs> like, it's like, I wanted to read Dickens, but I got Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, oh boy. that's exactly what I got. Um, so, like, after the the kind of shell shock of the first issue, um, I was like, okay, so it's one of these comedy things. It's kind of like that uh, Natman and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Natman yeah. and Rotten. Yeah, thank you. Um, and it's just not my type of humor. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I didn't grow up with Mad Magazine. I don't know. Something about the humor in this is just not not my cup of tea. Um, so, like, four issues of this, and it's like, the put, like, I, I, I don't know. I get it. Like, I understand what the humor is here, but, like, I'm not a fan of it. Like, this whole thing with Punisher, and, like, he's shooting up the place, and they give him a number, and they tell him to take a number, and it's like 120 something. They're like now serving. See that was 56. that was funny. That yeah. was funny to me. That was that they like knocked him off of his game. Mm-hmm. But also, it was like the one little eh, in a in a sea of hot garbage. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I mean, in the next the next funny moment he gets is I think when he goes to the lady's house and uh, he gives us his tragic backstory, and she's just yeah. like, "No, nah, Punisher, what if you was wrong or something? You know, whatever." It's like, all right, okay. <laughs> I, I'm not saying you have to treat characters with like a reverence because you wouldn't get like funny stuff ever. Um, and it's not like that's my problem. My problem here isn't oh they're disrespecting Cap and and, and and Punisher. Um, it's just not my sort of humor, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know. The art, the art was neat. <laughs> I. I uh, enjoyed Mag- Mag- Mad Magazine as a young perv, um, but I just, <laughs> I, uh, I, I like kept trying to like this, and I just didn't. Like, I was just like, I was like, oh, the art is kind of, it's time, but it's also, yeah, basic. It's just kind of there. It's, no, it's just... Like, at a certain point, I was like, all right, there's two dudes in suits. Uh, what's the blue guy? There's a guy in a blue suit, and there's a guy in a black suit, and who's who? And, the, okay, why did that lady leave, and this other lady's in charge? And, oh, no, it's tough. It's tough running the show, kid. And then, like, She-Hulk breaking the fourth wall was ridiculous, and it kind of just went off the rails at the end where they're just like, ha, 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 ha. And they're just, you know, protesting DC, and then it was like, oh, this is what this is what the gag is. Okay, so I think that it is a um, uh, a good idea. 
I think it would be interesting to see a um, super because you know we don't always get a sense of scale in a superhero story. Thor punches someone and they like break a hole in the moon or something. You know, like uh, something massive happens and it's just that's just another day at the office. But like we don't get you know. This, there's this office building and it was blown apart because two, you know, titans were having a fight or something and then, like, somebody comes in to fix it and reinforce it so that it doesn't happen again. Like, oh, we're going to put up a superhero force field and so they bounce off next time and, you know, no more collateral damage. Like, something like that is what I was expecting, you know, like, stuff like that. And, and this was just, like, it just didn't strike me as funny. It just, like, if, I think if I was reading comics... When this came out, it would have been like, ah, because it was, you know, re- really like, you know, inside baseball kind of references to other stuff going on in the industry. <laughs> so, and the ridiculous, you know, She-Hulk fourth wall garbage and that kind of stuff. Ah. Hold on, before we give Stephen the floor. <laughs> I, 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 Keep filibustering. I will say, Keep though. filibustering. <laughs> I will say I think the thing I thought was funny, um, or could have worked better, maybe. I don't know. The thing I liked tentatively was the bit with, um, actually, just the design in general, right? Because you have like these inherently goofy-looking characters. Like that redhead guy who's going to like graduate or something, and he's going to leave. Mark? Oh, yeah, like yeah. The, the store brand Shaggy. He is store brand Shaggy. It looks like it has good value on his jacket. Let me look closer. Yep, yep, yep. He came from Walmart. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so, like, that's, you know, a little funny because you mix him up with all these, like, serious office types who are drawn, you know, in a fairly serious manner. Uh, I think you juxtapose that with, like, the exaggerated physique and costumes of, like, Captain America and and the Punisher, and it just kind of exaggerates. And, you know, it's... A, maybe a little bit more exaggerated or just feels more exaggerated because of the people they're surrounded by. Um, as a sort of visual gag, I like that. Um, but I don't think it was necessarily enough to, uh, to you know, to help <laughs> the book as a whole. <laughs> yeah. And, and this reminds me because, like, DC's done this a couple times. Like, they've done a couple things where, like, it's, like, the normal people that have to deal with the crap end of the stick superhero stick um there's like the gotham pd uh comics Mm -hmm. uh which are really great because it's a lot about the cops having to clean up batman messes um dc also had a show a few years ago i looked it up because i keep i always forget the name but it's called powerless yeah yeah vanessa hudgens i it was like off the air before i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna try to watch that i'm gonna try to catch it online and then it was gone wait what show was this powerless they they I don't think it even I don't think it even aired the whole season actually. Yeah. I remember hearing about this. It was canceled. Alan Tudyk so he was quick. A, he was like a Bruce Wayne's cousin or something and it was yeah, cleaning up cleaning up Batman messes. He is the son of Vanderveer Wayne Sr. and the cousin of Bruce Wayne. Look at Aldo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think uh what's his name Adam West was also in the show. Oh, he narrated the pilot episode. Rip in peace. Oh yeah, that's yeah. sad. Anyways, yeah. so like, it's, been a while, yeah. it's I don't know. Everybody keeps making, or not everybody, because as far as I know, 
it's been Marvel and DC have made these uh, attempts to make these series about people having to deal up with superhero messes. Um, yeah. Genuinely, I think The Boys actually handles that pretty well because it's integral to its plot is how they deal with like superhero cleanup. Um, yeah. But that's also a very R-rated show, so like not everybody yeah. can watch it or read it. Um, but like, I would love a more serious take to this. Kind of like what I was expecting. <laughs> I mean, I could just... I'm, I mean, you know, screw it. I'm just going to write my pitch letter to uh, to Marvel right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Steven, you should have warned us this was supposed to be a funny book. <laughs> Nothing is funny anymore. <laughs> Anyways, tell us what you enjoyed about this book, Steven. It was Speedball, wasn't it? <laughs> Who? Speedballs? Uh, yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Robbie Baldwin, I don't, I don't know who that is. <laughs> what? Goodness. So, like, I'm not going to mount a, a rousing defense of this story. Mo- like, kind of similar to Longshot when we read it, most of my affection for the oh. story comes from a premise that I really like, not necessarily from the execution. I like the idea of damage control as an organization. Uh, I mm. like... I like the idea of a story that kind of uh, takes the piss <laughs> with uh, superheroes. Like, maybe it's just the attitude that I've been in recently, but I kind of like the fact that this story isn't exactly reverential to Captain America. Uh, yeah, like, no, that's why I like Runaways. They say, oh, Captain America, he has bad breath. And it's like, why would you? He's Captain America. He punched <laughs> Hitler. And then you're like, oh, he's a human character. And not everybody likes the same characters. Like, good guys are not universally adored. I can get, and like Howard the Duck making fun of, uh, making fun of Spider Man and his like tragic backstory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yes. Yeah, and I agree. The Punisher stuff in the second issue is the strongest stuff. Mm-hmm. Although I will admit that I really, really like it in issue one when they're wandering around in the vault and they get confronted with I think uh, the supervillain the Basilisk. I think is who that is, and he's like asking them a question or he'll kill them and the answer is the directions to the restroom yeah that wasn't that wasn't bad yeah I, I really liked the little gags like that um I enjoyed the really on the nose gag in issue three when she Hulk is complaining about wanting her writer Tom DeFalco back and they make it into this really honestly kind of tortured gag about DeFalco cigars that are oh, yeah. I guess they're good but they're real cheap. Yeah, he's the editor, so they're 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 making fun of the boss. Oh yeah, okay, that's what it is. Um, but you couple that with the way She Hulk as a character is treated in issue three, and it's embarrassing, actually. Like these two literally no name supervillains show up. One of them is a disgruntled former damage control employee, and the other one is this. Uh, running joke of a character of a city official who's lost his job because of the structural damage to the city. They're like beating the tar out of She-Hulk while debating what their supervillain names are going to be. And they come up with just like the terrible, just the worst names. Simon and Garfunkel, Clean and Jerk, which I could have sworn was something naughty, but it turns out it's a weightlifting reference. Hammer and sickle. Oh, sounds too Russian. Yeah. It, it, it's not a funny joke. And it's like, 
I really like the character of She-Hulk, and I'm sad that we haven't read better stories with her yet. I think the best She-Hulk story was read was the one where she was a lawyer. Oh, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's oh, I think, a pretty good one. But this era of She-Hulk has a lot of fans, and unfortunately, I, I, like, I really want to like it. I've heard really good things about it, but every time we find something from this era, it's just not very flattering to the character at all. And it makes me sad. I really dig the Nick Fury stuff in the final issue, especially when you find out that uh, Mrs. Hogue, who is like the old boss of Damage Control and someone who, like, I kind of got uh, Amanda Waller vibes from her, like from Suicide. That, yeah. She's not yeah. quite as cool as Amanda Waller is because Amanda Waller is one of the most underrated characters in comics. I freaking love Amanda Waller. But, like, you find out that Mrs. Hogue and Nick Fury, like, used to date, and Hogue just beats the crap out of the supervillain, and Fury still is holding a candle for her. Like, all of that stuff I really, really like. But I don't think it's quite enough to overcome the, the kind of sour taste that issue three left in my mouth. Yeah. Well, it's Peter Geirich who's the... <laughs> yeah, which you know, of the X-Men guys is he? He is Project Wide Awake. He is, uh... He's like out to get mutants. So this is uh, he is uh, finishing up commission on blue uh, superhuman activities. Blue ribbon report on the proposed superpowers registration act. So they they would have to register with the federal government. And he's like specifically like into the getting the X Men to like you know disclose their powers and stuff. He's the he's who um, uh, is like the bad guy in uh, the X Men movie in the first two X Men movies. Yeah. Here. They kill. Like they try to turn him into a mutant, and then he dies, and then uh, Mystique takes. No, that's takes Senator him. Kelly. No, you know what? It is Senator Kelly. That's Senator Kelly. I did the same thing. His. They say Mister Gyrich has been dead for some time, and Gyrich is like the helicopter pilot, or like his aide, or something like. That. Yeah, it's his aide. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, they like dropped that name, and I was like, I recognize that from my X Men books. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a deep cut. No, but, like, he was in the 92 X-Men cartoon as well. Like, with the same, mm-hmm. like, redheaded and shades mm-hmm. design. Like, he, I feel what? like he's someone, like, you know, he created the Sentinels or something like that. He didn't, though. That's Bolivar Trask. No, that was yeah. Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang did, uh... I'm gonna pull it up, and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna know. No, we, we covered this. Stephen Lang, in the comics, he manufactured the Sentinels. He was in the, the, uh back issue like that pro story at the end of x-men noir uh steven lang is an american screen and stage actor and playwright he's known for roles in manhunter Getting no Bird, the Jim other Star- one. Oh, right 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 <laughs> I was like, how long i was like can i make it to can i make it to avatar before steven loses his crap <laughs> <laughs> yes Okay, he is a manufacturer of the mutant hunting robots called Sentinels. Well, then... Bolivar Trask did create the Sentinels, though. Oh, so he, Stephen Lang, manufactured... By the time I first learned who Stephen Lang was, he was, like, part robot, and he, like... Oh, gosh. I don't want to do, like, the ranking of the X-Men bureaucratic (laughs) villains who created killer robots, because apparently there's more than one... (laughs) That's and that's how you get them. You, that, I mean, that's like the the the, the robots from the future. That's the X Men's ultimate foe besides humanity. <laughs> well, uh, 
And all of a sudden, we're talking about Donald Pierce and the Reavers. No, that's a different mutant hunter yes, killer robot. No, they all team up in uh, Second Coming, which we'll read eventually. <laughs> um, there's, there's, you know, Messiah Complex, Messiah War, Second Coming. Those are my like some of my favorite X Men stories. And all of the, all of them, all of them, all of them team up, and like it comes down to like all of the mutants are stuck together against like all of their, and all of their bad guys have been like chipping away at them, and the X Men fight them all off until it's like Nimrod from the future, um, who's been like pulling the strings of all these guys. It's gonna be fun when we get to it because it's really cool. <laughs> um, but anyway. damage control. Ugh. <laughs> you know what I think part of the problem might be actually with this, um, is that I think it... Okay, I'm going to make a really weird parallel here. So, I've been writing fan fiction of the television show The Bachelor. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I thought that was oh, boy, there's a whole, not there's a whole lot to unpack here. Wait, now, is this real? Is this, this real? Is a real thing that I've really been working on, yes. Oh, my Steven. God. Okay, Steven, okay. Steven, okay. Steven. Okay. Okay. We are friends, and you always have my support. The Bachelor is a reality show. Those are real people with real stories. Yes. How are you doing fan fiction about real? Is that like is that like on the, is that like on Bob's Burgers when Tina has like erotic friend fiction and she writes stories about everyone grabbing each other's butts and kissing and stuff? Yeah, no, it's not like that. <laughs> Thank goodness. This was about to be an intervention. Yeah, we're, I'm not going to get too much into into it because it's like my little uh, fun project on the he side. He doesn't want anybody to steal his ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> him, him and like all sorority freshman girls across the entire world. <laughs> so I'm writing a story that is kind of like a send-up of The Bachelor. Like I'm trying okay, to poke see, fun yeah. at The Bachelor. And okay, I thought you yeah, were like I'm not actually writing about real people, but it was inspired by events on the show, like where Thank it looked like goodness. Yeah, no, seriously, right? I, I understand. I thought your you concern. were like, I, I get it. It's fine. It's understandable. <laughs> you have like a little shrine of all the past winners and following oh, up on how their relationships are. Okay, all right. It's graphs ahead. and graphs and statistics. These <laughs> timelines. <laughs> I came up with what I thought was like a really like ridiculous, over the top sort of story where like the bachelor show that I'm on, it's actually like a bachelorette. So it's a m bunch of male contestants competing for the love of this one woman. And they do ridiculous things on their dates. Like they go on basically like the Nickelodeon show where you get dumped with slime and all of this stuff. They have karaoke, just like ridiculous things to help inform this. I read a sort of behind the scenes, uh, book called bachelor nation about the franchise and it turns out that every single ridiculous thing that I have come up with just off the top of my head has actually happened and worse oh you're like Emma Thompson in uh, in uh, Stranger Than Fiction you're making it happen <laughs> for crying out loud I thought it would be funny to have one of my like bachelor contestant people be a professional wrestler and every time he gets one of those one-on-one -on -one interviews he basically is you know cutting a promo right there that <laughs> happened on the show like it was like i'm gonna take him to the mat and i'm gonna show her my elbow and like that yeah kind of like that actually happened his name was rated r that was his wrestling name <laughs> oh my god that's beautiful i know and so it's like 
you're dealing with some... Like, I'm trying to write this parodic bit of fiction about something that is already so over the top, it's hard to make a parody of. Please don't, please don't ever say parodic again. <laughs> yeah, that made me feel... Steven, hey, real talk, that made me feel really uncomfortable. Because my brain was like, I think he's right. And the rest of me, my soul was like, but it sounds like barf. Hey, Aldo, Aldo. Hey, real talk. Hey, sidebar here. He's in He's in real deep, isn't he? I'm a little concerned. I'm not going to lie. Like, I like stuff, but like, I dip my toe into many waters. I think he is like down by the plug. I thought. Like, in, I, the, in the deep end. I thought when you were done with high school, you were done with fan fiction. That's what I thought, too. Anyway, uh, this is kind of like the, the problem that damage control was facing. Like, Oh, oh we're circling back. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, thank goodness. I wasn't just talking about this because I thought you guys would respect my interests. I, I had a point to make. A hundred, a hundred comics and he's just trying to backdoor his way into talking about the bachelor. Like, ha, 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 the prestige. I have to talk about it with somebody. Anyway. Great. Um, we're the, we're the dumping grounds because his <laughs> wife is sick of hearing about it. <laughs> uh, I laugh to keep from crying. <laughs> this start, did this start as like your like follow-up show? Like you're, you're like talking dead with, uh, uh, you know, your wife after every episode. And she was like, you know what? Just write it down. <laughs> if you love The Bachelor so much, why don't you write it? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes. But anyway... <laughs> So talking about damage control. <laughs> yeah, let's this needs this yeah. conversation needs some. Like damage control is dealing with characters that are already like ridiculous and over the top and larger than life. And the material that it brings to approach that stuff doesn't really do it justice cuz all of the ridiculous things that happen in damage control are things that could happen in a regular comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they're not over the top enough. Like, if you're going to do a parody of the Punisher, it's not enough to just have the Punisher show up and give him a number. You've got to do Big Shot from the Tick. Yeah, I, I, I think what yeah. could help the comic, or at least, at, at least for my taste and humor, is the fact that like you have the damage control people kind of presented as this already dysfunctional, goofy group, right? And you're putting them up against the superheroes, which are exaggerated people. Mm-hmm. But you're kind of having the exaggerated people be the straight man to these, like, goofy people. And I don't know that that works. At least not for and, me. And that, yeah. No, you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. The, the the better version of this, I'm going to say it again, and, my, and that part of my vocal cords is going to get worn out from saying it. Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think what could make this work at least for me, for my taste and, and humor, uh, as a as a as a grown man in his thirties in twenty twenty, um, more poop jokes <laughs> would be if the damage control people were the straight person in the comedy. Yeah. Uh, I, and I feel like nowadays I have to really specify when I say straight man in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> but if, yeah. if if they were the straight person in this co- in this comedic duo of like real life versus superhero exaggeration, I think at least for my for my sense of humor, I think it would work better. I think the jokes would land a little better, especially with how extra some of these heroes are. Specifically, like Punisher, who is just a man, it's just an angry man. Um, it's yeah. not anything particularly special, and I think that contrast would really kind of come out better. 
maybe they do that they, in volume they adjust three. it a little bit yeah or they, they approach it they approach it where he's in their office and he's doing his punisher thing and like he's narrating we get punisher war journal yeah 3 13 p.m you know like it, it's almost there but yeah, it'd be so funny if like you know they sat down the uh, they sat down the Hulk or they sat down Thor, you know, a big huge hero at a little teeny tiny desk having to fill out forms after they've like yeah. saved the city, you know, like there something like that. Like that's obviously like basic. But... Yeah, but I mean, I mean, part of like my ideal version of this book would include like the Punisher comes in, you know, and they force him to take the number, and then every time like they call out a number, um. You cut to like the Punisher in this corner, brooding, holding a gun, and he looks at his number, and it's you know still not his number. And then it cuts back to like the the, the mundane normality of everything else. Um, and then like another person gets a number, and they sit next to him, and he starts telling them his story, like absolutely unprompted, just starts explaining like where he came from. <laughs> Or he gets, like, a chatty lady who her whole thing is, like, her window box got damaged a little bit, you know, and it just needs new paint, but she's still in there, and she somehow cuts in front of him, and he gets really pissed, but he can't do anything because she's not guilty of anything. She's just a little old lady. <laughs> yeah. And innocent. And so he's, like, his his screwed-up moral compass still is, is you know, keeps her safe, but he's really yeah. bad about it. Yeah, or he... Yeah. Yeah, or he sees somebody trying to, like, pu- push, like, the wrong form through, and he's like, listen, Buster, like, there's rules to be, lo- like, healthy or whatever, <laughs> just, like... Turn you into Swiss cheese if you don't respect the cube. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, y'all, y'all remember five minutes ago when you were making fun of me for writing fan fiction? Yeah, but this these are... Riffing. These are characters, <laughs> these, these are not real characters, Steven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steven... Here's how. Here's how. Here's what I want to say about damage control. It sounds good, uh, but it doesn't deliver. Damage control is tiramisu. Oh, why do you hey. say that, John? That's the dumbest thing you've ever said. No, calm no, down. Hold tiramisu, on. though. Every time. Oh, oh, but okay. Every time I'm like, ooh, tiramisu. It has all good things in it. It's going to be delightful. I'm going to order some. I order some. Disappointment every time. Could it be that I don't understand what it's supposed to taste like? Maybe. Maybe it's this disappointing flavor is as good as it gets. Maybe. But it's just damage control has such potential. All the pieces are there. And then you read it and you're like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to say you ain't had my sister's tiramisu. All right. I'll put it on, <laughs> put it on my list then. Yeah. Um, again, like, I don't, this isn't a book I'm going to go really far out of my way to defend because I think its best ideas are in issue two, issue one and issue two. I actually really like both of those. Issue four kind of redeems it. Issue three sinks the whole thing for me to the point where it's like, I liked it. I had a good time with it. I'd be interested in reading more damage control, but it's more for like the ideas that it explores and almost not at all for the characters who, other than again, Kroger brand Shaggy. They're like, <laughs> they're not interesting characters. They're they're all no. just kind of like nondescript men and women in suits and skirts, right? Yep. And there there could be a way to like make them interesting, while at the same time having them be the straight comedic side. Yeah. Oh, and, there absolutely and or is like a the way. mundane. Like the, there are tons of ways to do it because again, like okay. We, we no like we've been reading this and it's like this book has a lot of ideas that we've seen done elsewhere 
yeah. better. Uh-huh. And it does make me wonder, because this book is, you know, a couple decades old, uh, is this a case of Seinfeld isn't funny? Is this a case of something came along and was influential and then other things picked up on what they did and did it better? Honestly, I don't know enough about the history. I know enough, like, to know that Dwayne McDuffie is well regarded. Yeah. And so I wouldn't be surprised to find out that that was the case. I can't really say that is the case for this, unfortunately, because I just don't know. But I do, like, I like the ideas. It makes me want to see other books like this take these and do better things with them. Um, Seinfeld is funny. Not every single episode. <laughs> I, was, I was referencing the TV trope. Seinfeld isn't funny. Okay. Okay. It's okay. a whole thing. Everybody, everybody has done everything that Seinfeld has done, but done it better. Since Seinfeld came out, yeah. That's kind of how I felt about Blade Runner until I watched it again and again. And oh, again. I've rewatched watched Seinfeld. That, uh, I've seen it done better. <laughs> uh, do we have anything else to say about Damage Control? No. No, but I really think we should revisit your Bachelor obsession. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe maybe on a different episode. I think now it's time to move on, though. Well, Stephen, I this is a good good moment while we're between issues because I uh, I have some ad copy I'm supposed to read right here. Oh, okay. We got a we got a sponsor. <clears throat> Make sure I get a good read of this. There can be no higher law in journalism than to tell the truth and to shame the devil. That's a quote from Walter Lippmann, but I say it's malarkey. The higher law in journalism is to get pictures of Spider-Man. He's a menace masquerading as a hero, and he must be stopped. Subscribe today to the Daily Bugle for the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but pictures of Spider-Man. No discount codes. Meat. A nice box of Christmas meat. Best I can do. <laughs> what? Okay. Oh, gosh. We're sponsored this week by uh, editor J. Jonah Jameson. And, uh, <laughs> use... There's no offer code. I mean, you're supposed to put in Super Reg Pod like at flowers.com or Audible, but uh, no, Daily Bugle's cheaping out on us anyway. Oh, goodness. I, I, I thought I'd talk about Power Man and Iron Fist. Let's do it. So this is the 2016 Power Man and Iron Fist series. Luke Powerman, CPA. Luke Powerman. Luke Powerman. <laughs> <laughs> Now he dress he dresses too. He's got to have a cooler like office job. He's got to be in like he's got to be in like acquisitions. Like he's the guy who walks into the boardroom and be like, "You're all fired," and like that's it, you know. CPA. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, um, this is David Walker, Sanford Green, Lee Loffridge, which I really like his work here. And I was like, "Have we ever seen his stuff before?" Yes, the evil that men do was um, his color work. Oh, that's um, unfortunate. Sanford Green is the artist. Uh, he does the inks and the pencils. But not the colors. Um, Lawfridge. Not the color. Yeah, what did I say? No, yeah, you, inks you and said pencils, it right. Yeah. I was just confirming. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, VC's Clayton Cowles, who I think we've run into before, does the lettering and production. But um, Power Man and Iron Fist had previously been uh, heroes for hire, where they had... Um, uh, Colleen Wing and Misty Knight and other, you know, Jessica Jones, I think, at one point. They, like, you know, street-level heroes that would, you know, were heroes for hire. And they have since not been paired up. And uh, Luke Cage has married Jessica Jones, has a little girl named Danielle, and is trying to be a good dad. And uh, Jessica is against him hanging out with Danny and, uh, you know, getting back into the hero life together with them. Um, they go to uh, prison to meet up with their former secretary 
uh, Jenny, uh, Jenny Royce. She was the office manager, and she was possessed and uh, convicted of murder because of while she was possessed, she killed her brother or her boyfriend. Boyfriend. Yep. Sorry. Sorry. So um, in the first issue, they you know pick her up from jail. Her time has been served, and they're saying, "Hey, we still love you. We're great." Danny is trying to get um, Power Man to you know team up again. Notice that uh, he uh, is saying funny stuff like. Yeah, she's family, but this is a bunch of fiddle-faddle. says, what the hell is fiddle-faddle? And it cuts to a family scene where little Danielle, a little Danielle, uh, I don't know if Cage or I don't know if what her last name is, if it's Cage or Jones, but um, <laughs> Jessica says, Luke, I love you, sweetie, but you got to do something about all the swearing. So Jessica Jones is uh, keeping Luke in check, and he is uh, not cursing, which is a nice way around, like, keeping the cursing out of the comic book. So... Um, they run into Tombstone because they, uh, they ask Jenny if they can do anything for her. She asks them to go pick up a, a family heirloom. Lonnie Lincoln, who's Tombstone, um, who I believe he's like an albino African-American uh, where he's like all white, but and he's got like this kind of like that kind of voice. Uh, he is like a street level uh, crook that runs into you know Daredevil and Spider-Man and other New York guys but they bust in he refuses to give them the necklace say that they're thieves they all get in a fight with his thugs they take him out all of his henchmen and then uh, turns out Jenny is working with another criminal Black Mariah her old cellmate and it's a uh, magic necklace uh, not just a family heirloom and Jenny is a bad guy um, Power Man and Iron Fist realize this. Uh, Jenny goes mad with power because she's using this thing. They're just trying to take out Tombstone, uh, Black Mariah and uh, Jenny, and it goes out of control. Um, meanwhile, the whole time, Luke Cage is trying not to try not to get back into the hero life. He's trying to just you know be there for his family. And Danny's like, "Come on, let's go punch everybody!" And then they have to punch everybody. It's really great. Anyway, uh, Jenny is saved by the power of friendship. I'm serious. Uh, with Black Mariah. <laughs> and um, th- uh, Black Mariah calms her down enough where th- the power that is overtaking her, they can get control of it and it leaves. And um, they give it to... Um, crap, who's this guy? There's another mystic guy. I just oh, lost Oh, uh, Senor Magico. Yeah, Senor Magico. <laughs> um, who... You know, they went to Doctor Strange first, and he was like, I don't know anything about that. And he's like, man, you and that quack Doctor Strange didn't even know this thing existed. So, um, yeah. Uh, by the end of it, they realize that, yeah, they got to stick together. And so Power Man and Iron Fist are back together again. Issue 5 is fun, but it's just kind of a follow-up to this. It's not really part of the story. It's just kind of a standalone, like, Plus, they're some of fighting us didn't guys. Uh, we did oh. not. It was, okay, it was well, it's, part it's of the fun. <laughs> it wasn't on the assigned reading. Um, I really enjoy this. Uh, I think that the the writing is quippy and fun, and you get to a good sense of the characters. Um, you uh, understand the relationship. It's not like given all out at once. You know, in the first issue, it's not like a big dump of like, here are all the missions they used to go on together and why they were buds. And you get these henchmen that are working for Tombstone that are following around Iron Man, uh, Power Man, and Iron Fist, and being like, man, I really don't want to fight those guys again. They're just going to beat us, and they're just keeping tabs on them and trying not to get you know uh, killed. Oh yeah, yeah, the guys with the skull faces. 
I uh, I picked this mostly because I really really love Sanford Green's art. Um, he has great character designs. Um, the style is is a bit looser than you see without being like sloppy or anything. Um, you know, I think all the characters look distinct from each other. He's able to, in flashback scenes, he you know does like a, a slightly different style. They change up the the, the uh, uh, pencils and the the coloring a little bit to kind of convey that. And that's well done. Coloring is really well done. I was appreciating this time around uh, reading through there. So, uh, what did you guys think? I really enjoyed the art. Yeah, I've read this one before. Um, mm-hmm. I- think i've read the whole series i don't remember at this point i've definitely read beyond this yeah it um, goes right into a uh, event like is it, it civil, goes into civil war two, civil war two which mm, whatever we should bad. read it someday but i can't say i'm enthusiastic about it no me either um but yeah no i really like the art i like how sort of wild it is the only other artist i can think of to compare it to uh got me too this week so i don't really want to bring his name up um yep there's been a lot of that this it's been an eventful week i i wish that like like people who have been harassed abused whatever the case may be let's get it all out in the open because i really i don't want to be i don't want i know i know i don't want to be a fan of anyone who turns out to be a jerk like like let's let's get them (laughs) you know it's it's awful it it is but like the worst part of it is of course like it isn't about like the fandom, you know, it's not no, like, no, oh, I liked not. this thing, and now the guy who made it is problematic. It's like, oh man, the guy who made this thing did all these awful things and to maybe these kept yeah. talent out of the pool that we would have liked to see. Oh, and like, yeah. oh man, it, and it's hard to, to frame your, frame your uh, response to this to make it not about you because all you have is your experience, but you, you know, there are more important things to consider, but anyway. You're right, Stephen. You're right, Stephen. I am a bad person. <laughs> I, I love that that was the takeaway. Oh, See, this no, is... I, feel, I feel really bad because I was like, oh, man. It's just you, you hate... I mean... Oh. <laughs> it's okay. John, we're just going to move on. We're just going to move on. Oh, okay. okay. Don't, don't, really, don't really make sorry. this harder. Just, we're moving oh. on. <laughs> hey, John. Hey, John. Yes, Stephen. You yeah. may be a bad person. But you can always find redemption in the loving arms of Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I I don't mean to laugh at Jesus, but I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> he likes a good joke. Have you seen platypuses? <laughs> Holy crap! I I I I feel you, John, because I I decided to watch Baby Driver for the last time oh, ever gosh. this last weekend. Oh god! Oh, I forgot Elgort. Elgort, Fox, wait, Spacey. Wait, Elgort. Wait, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Besides yeah. just Spacey, not Edgar Wright though, right? Or am I missing out? No, no, else? probably not Edgar Wright. No, not that I know. But but anyway, since the last time I'm watching that movie, I can't, I can't in good conscience watch that movie knowing, knowing the monsters that help make it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Uh, anyways, back to this book, which yeah, I think well, is... I, was, I, I wanted to say one other thing. Like, uh-huh. Lindsay Ellis uses a phrase that I find really, really, really handy. I think she was talking about... I think this comes from her video on Pocahontas and cultural appropriation. Uh, she describes herself as a well-meaning idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Where was that for me a couple of minutes ago? <laughs> 
John, you shouldn't have to feel bad for learning things. And just because I say something to try to, like, refocus thing, I'm not trying to lecture you, and I apologize if it comes across that way. You know what? <laughs> it, uh, I, I reject your apology. I needed to hear that. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for... Uh, I'm going to take it as a, as a scolding, because you know what? I need to learn more. <laughs> it is not about me, and I should uh, check my, my, my privilege. Man, we could not we could not script this at all. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, what I was going the point I was making is Sanford Green's art is so good that I don't have to worry about the other guy anymore. <laughs> I really I really like it. I like the loose sort of like. Oh, that's movie. how we got on that. Okay. Yeah, that's how we got on it. Uh, I like the the wild faces. They feel grounded. Like, they, they feel like they're real, they're tangible, but you get some really bizarre expressions, a lot of, like, plasticity in the faces. Uh, Cage and Lonnie Lincoln especially uh, get just the most wonderful expressions. Yeah. I love the the exaggerated builds. Um, oh, yeah. Specifically, so like, great. around... I mean, Luke Cage is drawn like an absolute beast of a man. He is huge. He is a brick house. Um, he's mighty, mighty. He's as as letting it all hang out. As the then. as the TikTok kids would say, he's a thick daddy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I love that um, the art doesn't shy away from that, from like not just being a big massive person, but also putting him in like these normal scenarios. Like again, that's what I like is that visual juxtaposition of putting big exaggerated Luke Cage. In a room full of normal people at a normal sized yeah. dinner table at a normal restaurant, like yeah, it's it's beautiful and it, it it doesn't need any more explanation. It doesn't need to do any more work. It just does what it needs to do, and that is beautiful. Or put him in a tiny car that like Iron Fist fits perfectly into. Yeah, uh, I love Iron Fist's tracksuits. <laughs> yeah, I also love like. Iron Fist is a character that I really like. I've loved him since the yep. Brubaker run. I like it when he pops up in other places. My favorite thing about Iron Fist is that he's like, what if Batman was kind of dumb? Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's like this rich guy. He's trained himself to be able to take on a room full of baddies. You know, Lord bless him. He's dumb. Yeah. Danny Rand is dumb, and I am here for it. There's I dig it. So, so there's a thing I learned a while back. Um, it's, the, it's the phrase, bless, bless your heart. <laughs> and it's, it's, I guess it's like a Southern thing that people say when you're being stupid, but you're really honestly trying. And they're like, bless your heart. And that I feel is his catchphrase. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you like everyone has that friend where it's like, I love this guy. He's my brother. But like, man, my wife or girlfriend or significant other doesn't like him. And it's real tough being in this spot because you want to please everybody. But, you know, you you don't want to like you feel bad for hanging out with your buddy because your wife's upset and you feel bad for ditching your buddy because you want to be with your wife. And it's like, you know. Yeah. But in the end, they they make it work, I guess. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I like about Rand is it's not he's not just dumb. Like he has other <laughs> personality traits too. He's overconfident and dumb. He, he's <laughs> overconfident and he's dumb and he's idealistic to the point where it blinds him to things. Yeah. And honestly, my favorite tension in this story is the fact that 
Danny refuses to believe that Jenny has tricked them because he trusts her and he likes her. And that mm-hmm. kind of blinds him to the obvious stuff that's going on. And so even though Danny is, you know, thick as mud, he has this sort of admirable quality where he's trying to see the best in people. And it sucks because, you know, it's getting taken advantage of. But it makes a character who's otherwise just kind of like, a, you know, kind of a doofus, really sympathetic. I, oh man, there's so much I like about this book that it almost makes me forgive. I mean, it does make me forgive, but I'm still going to point out the fact that a lot of characters when drawn in profile have these weird little lines by their cheeks that almost make them look like they've got Black Dahlia smiles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, actually, uh, what, what, what are the things actually talking about? Um, like the jokes and stuff in here. One of my favorite jokes in here is like a two-page gag. And I absolutely love it because it's the fight when he's when he's fighting the big ape man. Uh and Spider Woman and Spider yeah. Spider Ghost, I guess is her official name. Uh Gwen, Spider Gwen are it was Spider Gwen, right? It wasn't Yeah, it's it's Ghost Spider, okay. I think is what they call her now. Yeah, okay. Uh Spider Woman now it says in this comic, they're both Spider Woman. Um, anyways, they're both sitting and eating burgers, and they see this fight, and Jessica Drew is just absolutely thirsty for these men to get their shirts torn off. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's like this this kind of tongue-in-cheek discussion about like the ridiculousness of like how many heroes share the, the same name. Um, yeah. Because they're talking... Because, first of all, they're both Spider-Woman, technically, in this image. Uh, and, you know... Spider-Gwen is talking about Power Man dating a, a girl named uh, White Tiger, but that's a different Power Man. And then she starts calling Iron Fist Iron Face. Uh, <laughs> and, much cooler name than Iron Fist. Yeah, and uh, and the whole time Jessica Drew is just like, come on, lose your shirt. Lose, lose the shirts. And it's like, should we? Should... And then, like, so Gwen asks her, like, should we be getting involved in this? And Gwen, and uh, Jessica Drew responds with like only if the if the rest of that shirt doesn't come off. How's Iron How's Iron Face look without the mask? With a body like that, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't overstay. That's what I like about that joke. It yeah. doesn't overstay. Luke being really upset about his clothes getting trashed. <laughs> it's my birthday shirt. But the thing is, he got nice clothes. They dress yeah. Cage up nice in this. Yeah, I, he looks I great. love it. The the yellow shirts with the vests. Oh, I like. Yeah. Man, I I I I get where Jessica's coming from. Is what I'm saying. I yeah, think. I like I like the little bit. Um, I think it's like a one line. It's a one liner, and he's like, "The skin's unbreakable, but the vest is silk." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's real good. Yeah. Um, how many books do we read that just completely like dump on Doctor Strange. Right? Oh, not enough. <laughs> I know. And I like Doctor Strange. It's almost as satisfying. I like Doctor Strange. It is almost as satisfying to see Doctor Strange get dumped on as it is to see Tony Stark get dumped on. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz Doctor Strange like he's weird, right? He's like, weird. He's, he's weird. He's weird and he's probably That's... awful. He's probably a terrible person. <laughs> probably doesn't tip. <laughs> he does not tip his, his uh, Uber Eats driver. No, no, no. He does the tip afterwards and then dunks it down to zero. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, 
But uh, I mean, I'm sure Wong just tips. floats backwards away from the door. Oh, Wong definitely yeah. tips. But yeah, yeah, he just like grabs the food and levitates it back inside. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's another. Okay, you know what? That's another comic idea I'm gonna write. Uh, <laughs> just an Uber Eats driver in the Marvel world. We see. We yeah. see him just, just driving around town. Yeah. Yeah. He just has to like. He gets an address. The the building's all torn down, and there's just a tired. Spider Man's just Spider Man's just hoping that like an order doesn't go through so he can get a free dinner. Yeah, <laughs> they always get to him. <laughs> and he's like, he's just like tracking him down. He's like, oh no, you didn't ever find him. Uh, well, I mean, if you know, like, I could take those wontons, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no, I like that. I, I I also like the explanation a little bit that they that that he gives where he's where he doesn't know what the what the super soul stone is and he's never heard of it and danny kind of this kind of backs up danny's um idea that it's not a magical stone it's just uh it's jewelry but i love that uh this kind of goes back to that red white and truth where he talks about where he talks about how like you know there are there are more magics than just like the magic martial arts or whatever like that and he says, like, there, there's some arts that not everybody has been introduced to, or like, or he said, like, so, that even some people are worthy of mastering or of stuff like that. Street magic or okie dokie magic or some sort of inferior par- parlor trick. And Luke Cage says, so you've never heard of it, which means it isn't worth knowing about. And Danny's like, that's not what he's saying, is it? <laughs> right. It totally is. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, it kind of goes back to this thing where there's like, it's a stone that's not known by the rich white person in the Marvel universe who knows stuff. And instead right. it's by like this almost hokey parody looking uh, Hispanic caricature of Dr. Strange, who is yeah. the one that does know. Oh, I thought in a couple of panels, I thought they were going for Luis Guzman. <laughs> I mean, maybe with his, with, with his hair and goatee. I mean, maybe to me, it just looks like Hispanic Dr. Strange. I mean, his name is Senor Magico, right? Yeah. Hey, that is a killer name. I, okay, <laughs> oh, hold on though. Be- before we like get too deep into that, I do want to point out that like they had a Mexican magician or not magician. They had a Mexican <clears throat> wizard in the other Doctor Strange book we read, and he wasn't he like a luchador thing guy. I'm pretty sure. In the last in days the, of magic. In the last days of magic. There was like a like someone from almost everywhere. Medic oh Medico Mystico was the dude. Oh, you're right. I remember that name now. Yeah, and he dresses in a fly purple suit with like leopard tiger print and like a sugar skull like lucha mask. Uh why you would not just reuse that man, I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't think it goes for the it's the right tone, right? Because um, what they it, it's not like. <laughs> yeah, they were they were worried about tone when they wrote this. <laughs> I, I actually think they were because, like, I'm looking at the design for uh, Medico Mystico. Guy looks baller. Like he's <laughs> yeah. great. 
But like, what they don't want the guy who is sleek and put together. They want the guy who's running the shop at the side of the road. Like, they want the the guy who's got like the the display that's full of all the hats that you could possibly ever want to buy in New York. They're all there in that one. The shop. cape that's just like you know it's just a ratty old blanket or towel, <laughs> like the cape that he's wearing. Right, and I go a little bit back and forth on this guy because it's like, is this like, you know, a negative stereotype? Is this like? going too far with the joke. I'm not sure. The thing that kind of saves it for me is the fact that, you know, this is kind of calling out Doctor Strange for being too elitist to acknowledge types of magic that are outside, like, his... or that are... He considers them to be beneath his notice. And it turns out, no, we needed to take this seriously. I think that's the bit that really saves the character, right? And I think it's fine. Because, I mean, first of all, it's, it's New York. In New York, there are so many shades out there that I don't think this is a necessarily un- uncommon stereotype of people. I, I I know that sounds like negative, but I don't I don't mean it to be. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily bad. I think it's just a little goofy. I, for me personally, it's a little bit on the nose. Ah, yeah. uh, but I I mean I'm not offended. I think it's it's funny. It works. The the story purpose of this character is there. Yep. It's not offensive. It's just it's just a bit on the nose for my taste. I would agree <laughs> with it being a bit on the nose. I think this is a character that I want to... I actually want to see more of this character. Like, because as, as sort of, again, the, the guy who knows the stuff that Doctor Strange doesn't know because he works on the street level and knows what people are kind of up to when you get away from the, the hallowed halls of the Sanctum Sanctorum... Uh, like, I like that, but I think it's it's the sort of character that needs a little bit more depth to avoid, like, so it's not just on the nose, it's like, oh, here's a character, you know, who's vibrant. But that's the fun of the Marvel Universe, is like, once this character's there, he's there, and other people can use him and add to him, and maybe add nuance and yeah. other things. Like, I like it, I think it's a great little detail of the Marvel Universe that there's this whole category, or all these categories of magic that are imp- they're, they're powerful and they're potent and Doctor Strange just can't be bothered because he's a douche. I so so I actually so I read that wrong I guess when I when I first read it because my impression was that like uh, my impression was that like he said maybe he wasn't worthy enough to master it because it's just like not his thing or that not everybody is worthy to master all the arts right. But after rereading it, yeah, it is absolutely a douchey thing that not all magics are worth mastering. Because they're beneath him. Also, he has the Thundercat sword in the back. Wait, what? Yeah. In the f- <laughs> I missed that. In the frame. Hold on, going back now. In the frame with Danny and and uh, Luke Cage, where they're talking about it isn't worth knowing about. Uh, the sword in the back looks like the sword of... Sword of Omens? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's the sword of omens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you if you ever write Doctor Strange and you don't put in a stupid little Easter egg like that, you're doing it wrong. Which uh, which issue were we looking at? It's issue three, page okay. twelve. Oh my gosh, that is the best. Um, do you guys want to know part of part of John's backstory? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Holy crap! It is. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, was two years old. My second birthday. Uh-huh. I got, you know, two-year-old stories, a two-year-old two-year-old birthday presents. 
um, family, cake, ice cream, everything. We're all at the park. Once I opened the Sword of Omens, I said, Funner Cats, Funner Cats, ho! And I left. I ran <laughs> off with the sword. And my family had to open the rest of my presents because I did not give a care about anything or anyone except for killing imaginary bad guys on the uh, playground because I had the Sword of Omens. And that's like some of the first words I said were funner cats, funner cats. Oh, (laughs) I thought it was like my third birthday. My mom's like, no, you were two. And I still remember that. That's beautiful. Um, How did I miss that? I, I, I read this panel. Too, I we read all this so panel good. a second ago. I only went back because you guys. So good. You guys. I read that whole situation differently. <laughs> yeah. Embarrassed. And so, like, I, I, I dig this book again. I don't. Yeah. I think the ending is maybe a little weak. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm always. I watch enough anime that anytime power of friendship comes into play, I roll my eyes. <laughs> there are ways to do that well. There are ways to make that really engaging. Yeah, um, sure. I, I just I I believe that there are ways to make it really engaging, but I don't think we have quite enough build up to do it. I, yeah. I feel like this is almost like it needed another issue or two to maybe ramp up the stakes a little bit, and I think that's where it comes in. Like I like Power of Friendship when it's at its hokiest. Uh, the you want to see the power of love come together to save the world. Uh, for me, the the prime example would be the anime Summer Wars. Oh yeah, 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 favorite of mine. Yeah, I like Summer Wars. Yeah, like it is literally the entire family backing a girl playing like a solitaire game to. It's save like goldfish, from... like old me. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's yeah. so great. But yeah, like you really need to go way over the top with it, and I don't think this this pushes it quite hard enough for me to be really satisfied with it. It's not a bad ending it's just it lacks something yeah I, I don't know that i can really put my finger on it other than to say i don't think it quite goes big enough but i don't think this was really trying to go big it was this is the setup arc right this is yeah plus it's it's also meant to be kind of a personal story right this is even though we're seeing all this through through the premise of like power or luke, luke cage and danny rand kind of getting back together this is Jenny's story. This is her story right. about like how yeah. she was kind of innocent in all this, got possessed, you know, murdered somebody that she might maybe might have might have not loved, who was you know physically abusing her. So it probably had it coming. Served to time, and in the Marvel universe, like unjustly so, right? Because like possessions and all these things are a pretty common thing. Yeah, like they're extenuating circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, so she's just kind of been dealt this, this kind of terrible hand. I mean, granted, also, Power Power Man and Iron Fist could have visited her a little bit more, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, which, again, kind of informs Danny Rand's character, right? Maybe some of his loyalty is driven by guilt. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, like, there's... So it's a really personal story, but at the end of the day, this is Jenny's story. And I don't think... Mm-hmm. You know, you know, kind of like you're saying, right? It didn't go out all big or anything like that. Maybe because it wasn't supposed to. Um, but it, but it also feels like maybe the writer kind of wrote himself into a bit of a corner where, like, he didn't go big, and it's like, oh, but now we're here. How do, how do I, how do we get out? 
maybe i also think this is just like we're just gonna we're just gonna get started with something simple because really this is about like the plot yes it's jenny's story because it's happening to her and everyone else is reacting to it um but we're also the job of this is like reintroduce this this partnership and you know get this creative team you know working together and and you know I think that it does that well. Um, I, w- I thought, yeah, there could have been more build-up, two more issues, like a full six-story arc could have been good for this, get a little more backstory, get us to care about the character. And it was like pretty quickly resolved. Like It got really out of hand, and then, like, okay, power of friendship, and now it's all better now. Um, not a whole lot of like underlying stuff going on. Like Tombstone is you know going to gonna get Power Man at some point. Tombstone got a Tombstone. Yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I, I love the henchmen's running commentary on how hard it is to understand Tombstone on the phone. Oh, yeah. I love that every everybody. Because uh, there's even that bit with uh, with Luke Cage when he's like, I thought that was like an intimidation thing, but it, I guess it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I personally would be like, I'd be freaked out. You know, some gangster was like whisper yelling at me, but... Um, I don't know. I really liked it, and this is one I'm gonna uh, keep reading because I I had the physical copies, and then uh, I think started doing this podcast, and then got like <laughs> you know. I sure blame us. Had a, had other stuff to do. So. Yeah, it's hard to do everything. Should we Should we rank them? We can do that. Yeah. Um. We I have more to say. Kind of in agreement on this. Is yeah. it time to rank? I am always down for thirsty Jessica Drew. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that came across the front. <laughs> All right, so we've got 101 stories on our list. That's almost as many Dalmatians as any person could have. <laughs> you would surely need a Dalmatian plantation. <laughs> Y'all are going to feel Sorry, my D. frustration. <laughs> I was quoting the song in the movie Dalmatia, 101 Dalmatians, which I have seen a lot. <laughs> I like that movie. Anyway, I'm happy they got the live action remake of that for that one out of the way real early. <laughs> <laughs> Never saw that one. Oh, it has Hugh Laurie. It has Hugh Laurie. It and uh, and Arthur Weasley. Yeah. It's Jasper and Horace. It's actually pretty good. It's actually good. I like it. It's uh, watch it. It's got to be it's got to be a really good movie for me to give a crap if it's like a dog movie, you know, like I am not an Airbud fan. I'm sorry, there's there's a fantastic scene in it where like the puppies are like in this barn, they've been kidnapped, and like they start like howling. Oh no no, they, there's like another dog that like sees them or hears them. So they start howling. And so like they start howling in a doggy network until it gets all the way back to the original puppy owner the the, the original like parent dogs. And then they it's get like excited. Mark, man. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> That's that's what they do in the that's what they do in the original cartoon. It's like how they pass messages along, and all of the dogs in London lose their crap because they're passing along fifteen puppies stolen. Roar, 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 yeah, roar, roar. except they they don't they don't speak. It's all in uh, genuine barks and howls. Yeah, I know. I know dogs don't. Talk. <laughs> so we have a hundred and one stories on our list. <laughs> Number one is Ms. Marvel's No Normal. Number 101 Hooray. is Spider-Man's The Evil That Men Do. Boo. Uh, where do we want to rank Damage Control Acts of Vengeance? Okay, where do we have Spider-Man 
versus Nightman and Rotten. It's at number 80. Right. Uh, 80, 80. Yeah. Because <laughs> I would read, because 79 is Maximum Carnage, and I'd rather read Maximum Carnage again. I mean, I wouldn't, but I also actually do think this is the right place for it. <laughs> uh, I agree it goes above Spider-Man versus Nightman and Rotten. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's better than the GLX Miss special, and I don't care about Maximum Carnage enough one way or the other to argue it. So yeah, goes in at number eighty. God, that was record time. Did anybody did anybody have a timer on that one? <laughs> yeah, that took like thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the the quickest we've ranked one ever. Yeah. Uh, St- Steven sold us the idea of yeah, there'd be a lot of discussion about which comics are, and we're like eighty. Moving on. <laughs> Okay, um, and then Power Man and Iron Fist, The Boys Are Back, is what we're calling this one. Yeah, this is a good one, but I don't know how high up the list it goes. It, it is, it's one of those where it's like, I like, this is an example of what comics should be. Um, it's not like an iconic story, so it's not in the top ten. It no. is a great example of like the potential of comics, great storytelling, writing art and art, you know. Um, so for me, looking at our list, I'd, I'd put it at 22. Oh, wow, that's a little higher. That's, that's higher than I was putting it. Um, well, that's, that's just my opening shot. No, that's fair. Good. I actually was, I'm not too far off from where you're at. Because um, I was thinking right around 28. Okay. And yeah, I could see. So that's where Squirrel Power is. Yeah. Uh, never ending struggle with Deadpool. So kind of you know written about the same time. So we're getting similar kind of yeah. vibes, I think. So for people who yeah. aren't actively looking at the list, John suggested twenty two, which is the current places: uh, Black Bolt, Hard Time, right below which Runaways, and right above Pursuit of Flight, which is mostly fine. <laughs> <sighs> Our decision to rank Black Bolt over Karnak is feeling like a really good decision nowadays. <laughs> Just gonna yeah. say. It. Just gonna yeah. say that. Uh, I'm really sad about that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I was actually looking lower than this, but not like in a way that I think is demeaning. Because this strikes me as a book that is really engaging. It's a good start. And it makes you want to keep reading, but in and of itself, it is not, like, the thing that you want to end on, right? You want to keep going. And to me, that reminds me of Thunder in Her Veins, hmm. which is at 36, which I think is too low. But that's kind of the area that I was thinking. But then again, I do think it's better than Forever, which is that Fantastic Four book. Which which does the same job. Like, it's it's a good start to a new series, yeah. uh, a return to a familiar team. But this is, uh, it's, this is, I like this one better. Yeah, and I'm working, I'm working my way up the list. Yeah, that, that was part of my movies. reasoning. Because, like, I started with that with Forever, actually. Um, yeah. But then I also thought about Shuri, and I thought about uh, Finally Woven Thread and Squirrel Power. Here's the thing. I don't even remember what happened in Finally Woven Thread anymore. <laughs> I just remember having fun with it. And it being a very Finally pretty Woven, book. Yeah. Finally Woven Thread, <clears throat> excuse me, is Black Widow. Yeah. Right. And it's really well drawn, and it's Black Widow kind of tying up loose ends. Still no cases, total. she has... Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. 
I remember there's a... Oh, I thought you said... Did you say Phil Noto or did you say Still No Help? No, I said Phil Noto. Okay, cool. I thought you were like... I was like, well, I'll give up. That's a weird response to... Phil Noto, I'm done. I can't convince you. Uh, and then I also I I also wasn't a fan of the humor in Squirrel Power, so which is why I nudge it right up there. I kind oh. of agree with 28. Okay. I, I This is a good book, and I, I like Squirrel Power, but... I think this one's more universally pleasing, at least within the podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like, let's, yeah. And The NeverEnding Struggle, nah, we can leave that one above it. I would say 28. Yeah. Oh, man. Wolver- not Wolverine. Deadpool book has been up there quite a while. It's It's just a really solid story. The argument that you keep coming back to and you can't avoid with that one is that it's a really tight, really good story. and That knows its limits. Yes, yes. And so it's, you know, it's when comparing you think like surely the top ten is all full of like the best characters and, and the best talent. And it's like maybe, but also you have to look at these. We're ranking them as stories as opposed to like who our favorite characters are. Yeah, if it was up to me, Spider-Man would be up a lot higher. That's a book that consistently makes you cry. <laughs> also, we still haven't read The Death of Peter Parker. And I don't know how well no, that... we haven't. I don't know how well that book lands on its own. I, I'm curious about it, because I've read it, actually. Yeah. I read it, like, hanging out in a Barnes & Noble one day. And, uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how I respond to it when I actually get to sit and read it and actually, like, process things. Uh, but that's gonna have to wait for another day because that's not what we're planning on reading for our next episode. What are we planning on reading for our next episode, Stephen? <laughs> okay, so we've got two miniseries. Well, no, I guess it's one miniseries and one start to a series. We got two uh, story arcs that we're gonna be reading. Uh, we're gonna start with Angela, Asgard's assassin. So dealing with the the rather bizarre character that used to be part of the Spawn franchise and is now in the Marvel Comics stable. Yeah, and although I know you've you've been like excited to talk about that story, so we'll we'll let you cover that when it's time to to actually discuss the book. Yay. Uh and speaking of weird brand matches for Marvel Comics, we're going to read a Star Wars book. <laughs> Uh, we're going to read the first six issues of the Dr. Afra series. I believe from 2016? Yep, 2016. Yep. I guess it's the only Dr. Afra series. <laughs> uh, there, are, there are multiple titles, but they're annual. The other ones are annuals. So, yeah, Dr. Afra, the first six issues. Uh, Dr. Afra is a Star Wars character, but she's a spinoff from the Darth Vader comic. Uh, fan favorite? I haven't read much about her. So, looking forward to that. Have we have we read anything Star Wars since the Rise of Skywalker came out? Have we wait? Have we talked about it at all? What did you guys think of it? Oh, uh, you you remember what my reaction was to Damage Control? It's <laughs> 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 about that. <laughs> I thought I was a Star Wars fan, <laughs> and it turns out no. I just liked cranky Luke Skywalker. <laughs> I'm still a Star Wars fan, but instead of uh, Episode Nine, I'm just going to pretend that my Episode Nine was um, earlier that month when I went to Star Wars Land and rode the Millennium <laughs> Falcon nine times. You are the you are the canon. It was, 
it was infinitely a better experience. I just, it was too reactionary to all the complaints about uh, Last Jedi, which is maybe my favorite. Mm-hmm. It's getting up there. It's it's close to, to Empire. It was Abrams doing a little hissy fit about not getting to make his own trilogy and then forcing it. I just, I can't wait for Ryan Johnson's, his own trilogy, especially after Knives Out. Such a great movie. Ryan Johnson is an excellent director. I like him a lot. I think regardless of the controversy, Marvel or Lucasfilm Studio Disney would be a fool to let that man go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully, like, fans will receive his stuff better when it's a side story thing as opposed to, yeah. like, a main entry. Which, don't get me wrong, again, I think Last Jedi is probably my favorite. It, it's, it absolutely is my favorite. Yeah. it's oh, I have such fond... I have such fondness for especially particular scenes from A New Hope and Return of the Jedi that it's hard for me to say definitively that The Last Jedi is my favorite, but man, I really like it a I'll, lot. I'll just say like my two like two of my favorite scenes from Star Wars ever, two of them come from Last Jedi, which is which is like the um which is the part where they just unleash all of the at at laser fire at Luke yes. and he's just oh there. Yes. And the fight with the Praetorian guards in the throne room is absolutely beautiful. That's such a cool holy crap. Yeah, the set they, they, they had set up for that and then it all burns down. It was incredible. Yeah. It's uh two two of my favorite, like regardless of anything. Uh followed followed shortly by Don't do it, Anakin. I have the high ground. Ha, 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 ha.